Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. Mark chapter 8 is an interesting chapter in the Gospel of Mark, for it records the feeding of the 4,000. Some have tried to imply that the feeding of the 4,000 is the same miracle as the 5,000, and the Gospel writers just got it confused, but anybody that would read the accounts would know that that's wrong. Feeding of the 5,000 happened in Galilee. It was primarily among the Jews. There were 12 baskets left over. There were five loaves and two fish. The feeding of the 4,000 is specifically stated that it happened in Decapolis. It was primarily to the Gentiles. There were seven baskets left over. There were seven loaves and a few fish, it says. And at the end of that miracle, they got in the boat and the disciples pulled away from the shore and they were discussing the miracle. They were discussing what had taken place. And in verse 17, we pick up and find Jesus being aware of this, said to them, why, you, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? They had forgotten, you see, to put all the leftovers on the boat. Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? And then in verse 21, he makes a statement. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? Being a minor in history, I, I enjoy watching a lot of what happens in current history. This is an election year and a political year, and so you get a lot of things on TV that are humorous to watch. Rise your uh, curiosity up a little bit, but uh, I remember watching the Republican National Convention back in August, and beginning with Jack Kemp, he began to talk about the liberals and the Democrats and everybody else, and he, he began this little line, this little catch slogan that other speakers picked up on and said, they just don't get it. They just don't get it. And then Bob Doyle came on and he said that the Congress and the Democrats just don't get it, that they think the wave of freedom that's sweeping the world is just pure luck. And he said they just don't get it. And, and you could see the crowd was being worked by this phrase. And they began to quote it back to those who were speaking on the platform. I think that's kind of the way Jesus felt with the disciples. They just didn't get it. Here were 12 men that he had invested his life in. He had pulled away from some of his public ministry, and he had been teaching them intently about following him and about discipleship. Every time Jesus gave a sermon or a lecture, he would put his disciples in a lab situation to see if they had gotten the message. Every time he performed a miracle, he followed it by giving them a test asking them questions to see if they understood the purpose of the miracle. Never, Jesus never did anything just for the sake of doing it. There was always a purpose. There was always a motive. There was always something he was trying to do in teaching that lesson. And the disciples just didn't get it. They didn't have a clue. You can say they were thick-headed, hard-headed. You can say their elevator didn't go all the way to the top floor. You can say that, you know, you can look in their eyes and tell nobody's home. However you want to put it, these guys didn't have a clue what was going on. Now, that's amazing 
because they had spent all this time with Jesus. They had heard all that he had to say, and yet they did not comprehend what the master was trying to get them to see so clearly. In fact, he starts using these phrases. He says, don't you see? Don't you hear? Do you not understand? What he's saying is, you've got eyes. Look. You've got ears. Listen. You've got a mind. Think. Use your head. Let me get through to you what I'm trying to say to you. And, you know, I am amazed because if I had been the Lord, I would have given up on that bunch a long time before. I mean, anybody as thick-headed as those guys that had to keep being told the same thing over and over again, you would have think Jesus would have said, Guys, it's been nice knowing you. Go find somebody else to serve. I'm going to pick up 12 more. I'm surprised they didn't do that. I'm more surprised that those of us 2,000 years removed from the cross, with all the history of God's faithfulness on this side of the cross after the coming of the Holy Spirit, that he doesn't just say, I'm going to write you off too that he keeps telling us things and telling us things. And, and I think the Lord gets weary of telling us some things. I think there are some things that wear on his patience, that push him to the limits. I think the Lord was weary this day. I think he was tired. I think he was frustrated with the disciples that they had not yet caught on to what he was about and to what he was doing. And he was trying to get them to see the point, and they were missing the whole point. They didn't have a clue what he was talking about. They just could not grasp what it was that he was saying. Let me ask you something. Do you ever get fed up with telling your kids or your grandchildren something over and over again? I don't look at me like that's never happened to you. Have you ever made a statement like this? How many times have I told you? Anybody besides me? Well, bless God, there's some honest people. We might have revival this morning. I mean, don't you get tired of it? I mean, you just get tired of saying the same thing over and over again. You just think, Lord, God, they're, they're healthy. They're of sound mind. Why are they like their mother? I don't understand. <laughs> And then the mother says, I don't know why they're like their dad. They're just like their dad. And you get tired of saying the same stuff over and over again to your kids. Boy, when I was in youth ministry, I got tired of going over the same stuff all the time. It just seemed like no matter how much I said it and how much I explained it, I just didn't get it. Every year we'd camp, we had to go over the same rules and like I couldn't remember from one year to the next. You know, if you coach a team, you've got to go over the basics. You'd think that people would learn the basics, but when you see a basketball team or a football team that goes into spring training, what do they do? They work on the basics. Things like snapping the ball, catching the ball, things that are basic. Forget the plays. If you can't do the basics, you can't win a ball game. You ever work with anybody who just never seems to get it? Is there anybody at your place of business that it seems like the supervisor, the plant manager, whoever it is, has to keep going by their office over and over again saying, now, I'm going to tell you one more time, this is how we want you to do that. And it's already in the manual on page 78. What manual? The manual you got the day you came to work here. I got a manual when I came to work here? Yes, you did. And they just don't seem to get it. I mean, it seems like they pull into the parking lot, they lay their brains out beside their car, they go into work, they come back, they get their brains, they put them in, and they go home. It's amazing. 
I don't know about you, but, but I get tired sometimes of saying the same thing over and over again. And I think the Lord gets tired of that. I think the Lord gets his patience worn thin sometimes. And, and if we are going to grow in understanding who he is and what he's about, then we need to understand what it is that wears on his patience because you see the same lesson that he was trying to teach the disciples, he's trying to teach us. That's why we have the scripture. God wants us to learn the thing that they weren't catching on to. You see, they were not sensitive to the heart of the master. They were not alert to his needs. They were not alert to what he was trying to communicate to them, and he kept trying to say it over and over and over again. And you would think that by this time they would have learned it. And I think there are four things primarily that Jesus is tired of telling his disciples, whether they be the disciples that were there with him physically or those of us who are his disciples now in 1992 and a part of the family of God. Number one, I think Jesus is tired of teaching the fact that you must begin with what you have. You must begin with what you have. He says in this story, how many loaves do you have? Now, I've got a feeling the disciples said, Now, Lord, uh, I'd answer that question if I could, but I remember you saying you were the bread of life, so that's not my job. Your job's bread. You said you were the bread of life. That's not my department, so you'll have to ask somebody else. Putting off. You've got to start with what you have. Faith without works is what? Dead. That means if your faith is not accompanied by works, it's what? It's dead. You start with what you have. God gives the bread. God did not back up a truck and say, all right, boys, here it is, and you pass it out. God starts us with what we have. There are times when we stop praying about something and we go to work. There are some people who want to spend forever praying about a matter rather than doing something about the matter. And prayer has a part, but prayer that does not lead to action on our part and a moving out on our part to believe God for something is not real prayer. You begin with what you have. You remember Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus? Now here he is. He says, now I'm going to resurrect Lazarus. I'm going to be the resurrection power. But I will not be your wrecking crew you get some of those big old strapping boys over there and you move the stone yourself and then I'll take care of the dead person. You see, what Jesus was trying to say to them was, yeah, I can move the stone, that's no problem for me, but that's no problem for you either, so you do your part and then I'll do mine. You see, you begin with what God's given you. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it. You begin with the gifts and the talents and the abilities and the resources and the faith that God has given you, and then God comes in and he begins to multiply it. You supply the bread, and then God multiplies it. Number two, God's demand will be met by his supply. God's demand will be met by his supply. It says that he took seven loaves and broke them. The Greek is he kept on breaking them. In other words, he broke the bread until it met the need. Now let me tell you something about the Lord that you already know, but sometimes we need to be reminded. God's never out of stock. He never has to go put anything on back order in the kingdom of God. He's never out of date. He's never late. God's demand is always met by God's supply. If God ever demands anything of you, He supplies what you need to meet the demand. 
Whatever the need of the moment is, God supplies what you need. You and I must realize that God wants to do something in our lives and He is not inadequate or incapable of filling that need. God gives and gives and gives again. Thirdly, God always teaches a spiritual lesson in the physical realm. God always teaches a spiritual lesson in the physical realm. Now, all the miracles that Jesus performed happened in the physical realm, but they happened to teach a spiritual lesson. God never wastes time. He never wastes energy. He never wastes events. There's nothing accidental. There's nothing incidental. There's nothing coincidental about the way that God works. God is a sovereign God, and He uses that which He allows or permits or causes to happen. He uses those things to teach us a spiritual truth. He's not wasting time. He's always trying to move us down the road. I am amazed. I'm amazed at people who... God keeps trying to teach them a lesson over and over again. It may be in the physical area. It may be with some trial or some difficulty they're going through. And they never stop and ask the question, what is God trying to say to me in this? Why am I having this problem? Why is this going on in my life? They try to answer the question in the physical realm. And there may be an answer in the physical realm, but there's also an answer in the spiritual realm as well. They never seek for the spiritual answer. What is God trying to say to me? How is God trying to teach me? Where is God trying to move me in this crisis or in this trial or tribulation or problem that I'm going through? What is he trying to say to me? He's using something going on right now in your life physically to teach you something spiritually. Nothing happens in your life by accident. And if you don't learn it the first time, you know what happens? You don't get to opt out of that course. You don't get to skip it. You have to go back in the school of discipleship and he keeps giving you that test over and over and over again until you learn the lesson and until you can pass it. I worry about us getting caught up in this syndrome of, Lord, why me? Why this? Why is this happening to me? Lord, this doesn't seem fair. Lord, I don't understand. Why is, how am I going to handle this area? And the Lord simply is saying, you're not going to handle it until you start listening to me. You're not going to be able to overcome it until you get a handle on it spiritually, until you see it from a heavenly perspective and not just from an earthly perspective. You see, the problem with the disciples was one word, bread. They had misplaced their priorities. They put emphasis on the secondary instead of the primary. Now, I don't know what's going on in your life individually, but I know this. There's a word that you can substitute there in your life for bread. It may be your children. It may be your spouse. It may be your parents, it may be your finances, it may be your job, it may be your business, but it's that thing that consumes you in the physical level and God's trying to teach you something spiritual and you're not receiving it. It's just like in this room right now. There are all kinds of radio and television signals going on in this room right now, but we don't have the things to receive it. So it's all around us, but we're not seeing it. Something is going on right now in the physical realm 
but we don't have the equipment to receive it. In the same way, God is taking circumstances in your life and in my life, and he's trying to teach us something spiritually in our heart, in our head, in our mind, to understand the things of God by the physical things that he allows, causes, or permits. Whatever your bread is, whatever that category falls into, God's using that to test you and to get you to trust him. And I'm not saying the problem will go away when you begin to trust him, but I'm saying this, it will never go away until you trust him. It's not going to leave because he is bound by his nature to conform you into the image of Christ. And if he has to keep bringing or allowing problems and burdens in your life to get your attention and to get you to quit trying to figure it out for yourself and to trust him, he will continue to allow that because he's trying to make you into the image of Jesus, not in the image of a worry wart. God's trying to teach you something. This is what he says in verse 14. They had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them, saying, Watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. Now, here's what the disciples were doing. They said, Oh, Lord, we forgot the bread. Oh, man, I can't believe. I thought we put you in charge. Said, no, I, I wasn't in charge of the bread. You were in charge of the bread. You were the last one to get on the boat. Well, I know I was the last one to get on the boat, but I thought it was already on there. These guys had totally forgotten the bread. You see, Jesus, when he brought up the leaven of the Pharisees, they thought he was still talking about physical bread. Jesus was trying to teach them a lesson in the spiritual realm from something that had happened in the physical dimension, and they hadn't caught it. They were not comprehending what he was saying. God was allowing this to happen, and we are still like the disciples. We're caught up in things like this. If I had blank, I would be so happy. Oh, if I could find the right woman or the right man or the right car or the right house or the right job or the right this, I'd be happy. Or if I could get blank, I would be satisfied. Oh, I'd never ask God for anything again. You know what our problem is? We're preoccupied with bread. We're still in freshman-level classes. We're all Prop 48 players in the game of life. We're still taking bread and baskets 101 and crumbs and cookies 201, and we haven't figured out yet that God's trying to take us deeper than the bread we have. That God's trying to teach us something in the spiritual realm. You see, you can sit and listen and hear over and over and over and over again and never get it. Our problem is we're not hard of hearing. We're hard of listening. We don't listen. God's been speaking to us. In fact, I have a sign that I have in my study at the house, and it says simply this, you're only young once, but you can be immature forever. And you know, folks, there are a lot of people that have been saved a long time, and they're going to die carnal babes in Christ. They're going to live all their Christian life on a superficial level. You're only young once, but you can be immature forever. These disciples were caught up in bread. They weren't able to understand. They were preoccupied with bread, with things, with stuff. 
And might I add that as long as you think that the things of this world will feed the longings of your heart, you will always be hungry. Amen. You're always going to be hungry. There is no circumstance. There is no situation. There is no relationship. There is no job. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing you can have that's ever going to satisfy you outside of Jesus Christ. Amen. You get all that this world has to offer and you're still not going to be happy. You're still going to be miserable because you're worried about bread and about things and about stuff. Now, I find it interesting that there are two different Greek words here. In the, in the feeding of the 5,000, they had 12 baskets remaining. That word for basket there is the word for a wicker lunch basket. It, it's really a picture of a little basket like you ladies would use to put bread on the table. Just enough for everybody to get a few the first time around, then you know you've got to get up and go get some more. But the word used in Mark chapter 8 is the same word used in Acts chapter 9. It's the word for a hamper, a laundry hamper, if you will. It's the same word used for the fact that they lowered Paul down over the wall in a basket. That size basket would hold about a hundred loaves of bread. And Jesus has given them all this. They had a 700 loaves of bread left over, and they forgot them. Now, how do you forget 700 loaves of bread? But Jesus was trying to say to them, Look, I am able, I am sufficient. I can give you more than you can imagine. I can give you so much you'll almost forget where it is. I can give you, I can provide for you. The issue is I will take care of you. Quit worrying and quit wondering how you're going to get more bread. I'll provide for you. I will take care of you. This miracle was not done to confirm his ability. It was done to show his compassion. And the bread that was left over was just the result of his ability. It was God saying, I am overabundant. I am overly prepared to take care of you. Nobody's going to go lacking. Why do you think Jesus said, don't worry about this world. Why do you think he promised to provide of us all of our needs? Why do you think God said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all this stuff will be added to you? i tell you why. Because he knows that we spend most of our life worrying about all these things. And he knows that if he can ever get us to shift gears and to trust him and seek him first, all these things will take care of themselves. We're worried about it. We're uptight about it. We don't know how to trust him. We don't understand that he's teaching us a lesson. We have lost perspective. We are living life out of focus. We think that the issue is our stuff, and so that brings me to point number four, and that is God is amazed that we cannot trust his sufficiency. God is amazed that we cannot trust his sufficiency. You see, these disciples needed to walk by faith. They needed to feed on him. They needed to learn to trust the sufficiency and the sovereignty of God, that God takes care of his children. And see, you'll never get it. You'll never catch on. The light bulb will never go off in the Christian life until you understand that God's desire is for you and I to quit worrying about things, about stuff, about bread 
God wants us to focus on his sufficiency, and I think he's tired of trying to show us how sufficient he really is and how he is able to come through. But you see, 365 times in the Scripture it says, Fear not. Why? That's because we're so fearful. Everybody's uptight. Oh, what's going to happen to interest rates after the election? We're worried about interest rates. Oh, we're worried about inflation. We're worried about our jobs. We're worried about cutbacks. We're worried about this. We're worried about that. And Jesus said the whole time, Hey, <laughs> nothing happening in 1992 surprises me. So trust me. Folks, if your future and your hope and your peace is tied up in any political party or any job that you have, you have no future and you have no hope and you have no peace because those things change. You can't count on any of that. You can't count on one thing that you can see or put your hands on. God is amazed that we do not trust in his sufficiency. And what is it that keeps us from doing that? Well, let's go back and just bring back the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soil. You know what it is? It's the worries of riches, the deceitfulness of riches, and the cares of this world. Jesus said that the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world choke out the word so if I'm focused if I'm living life on the level and on the plane that I'm supposed to be living life as a believer bought by the blood of the lamb if I'm living life on that area then I understand that there are some things I don't have to worry about and there are some things that are none of my business. To put it in good South Georgia folks, there are some things that God never intended to be any of your cotton-picking business. He was going to take care of it. He knew your need before you were ever born and knew the need would ever exist. He already knew it, and he already planned to teach you something in the physical realm that would apply spiritually to your life. God's not been caught off guard. God is sufficient. There are matters that are not my business. There are matters that are for him to take care of. And God is not impressed with our stuff, and we think he is. I mean, we think, we, we think God's impressed with the stuff we have. You know what I believe? I believe God's sick of our stuff. I tell you, 2,500 people, mostly children, will die today in Somalia. The country is 99% Muslim. They'll die from starvation. You know what's on our mind? What time are we going to get out of here to go get our stuff to stuff our stomachs? That's what's on our mind. Where are we going to eat today? What are we going to get? What's my wife fixing? How long am I going to have to wait at the restaurant? Folks, I'm going to tell you, we're worried about some stuff that we ought not to be worried about. I hadn't met anybody in America that starved to death. Say, well, there are some people that don't eat as well. That's true. But I hadn't met anybody starving to death. We're so worried about our stuff that we get in part of our stuff, one of our baskets, and we drive around. 
so everybody can see our basket. Because we got a new basket. We want everybody to see it. And if we really want to impress people, we leave the, leave the sticker on that basket so everybody knows how much we pay for it. And then we ride around in some neighborhoods and we look and we say, boy, I'd like to have a basket like that to live in. Man, I tell you what, if I could just add one more basket onto the back of my house, I believe I'd be happy. Or if I could just have new carpet in my basket, if I could just have new wallpaper, if I could just put bricks or siding, if I could just paint, if I could just fix up my basket so everybody in the neighborhood would ooh and ah when they drive by. We're so caught up in our baskets. We got up this morning and spent time looking in the closet to make sure that the basket that we got on covers up as much as it can. Some people didn't get up to dress that way, but most of us, you know, we got up. We want to hide the bulges. I mean, you never fit, you never dress to show what you really look like. You dress to hide what you really look like. Don't look at me like that. You know you do. <laughs> we get so worried about our stuff and our baskets and our things, and if we've got this and if we own that and if we've invested in this, and we're worried about things, and God's not even concerned about that kind of stuff. We are the most blessed, privileged, honored, rich people on the face of the world in the history of Christianity. There has never been a nation. There has never been a church. There has never been a group of believers of all denominations that have been blessed more than we have in America. And we sit down and somebody says, boy, we... We need to support missions. And we say, man, if I support missions, I can't get more stuff. And you know what? You can't even count all the stuff you've got now. It would take you all week to inventory the stuff that you've got that you've forgotten that you have because it's pushed on a back shelf. It's stuck in the attic. It's out in the storage room. It's going to the next garage sale. I discovered something. We don't know how to bless God for all the stuff he's given us. We don't know how to trust God for his sufficiency, so we try to make sure that we can climb the ladder enough that we can get more stuff so we can be secure when we retire. Because that's our goal. We want to be secure when we retire. Listen, friends, it's not social security you need. It's eternal security that you need. You know what we're worried about? We're worried about our CDs and how much interest they're drawing. Oh, we we got to live. we got to survive. I know that. I understand that. But I still submit to you that it is the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of riches that is eating us alive spiritually. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Bless the Lord and all that is within me. Forget not his benefits, that he has healed you of your diseases, that he has delivered you from your captives, that he has taken you out of a dry land, that he has placed you in the promised land. Don't forget the things that God's done for us. The thing is, we don't remember. We don't remember what he's done for us. And so he comes in verse 18. He says, Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets did you pick up? And they said, Twelve. When I broke the 
there's bread for the seven, the seven for the four thousand. How many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? Unbelief has a short memory. Now, I think Jesus went back to their level. He took them on their level and he went back and said, Guys, how many, how many baskets were left over just a few minutes ago? Seven. Remember those baskets? Yeah. Big baskets, weren't they? Yes, sir. How much bread in those baskets? About a hundred loaves in each one. You guys still don't get it, do you? You just don't get it, do you? You don't understand, do you? You see, unbelief has a short memory. And we are careless about the blessings of God. God has given us so many blessings that we can ride off and forget them. And God's saying, I gave you those blessings to do something with them. We're careless about the goodness of God. We don't know how to thank Him for His blessings. We don't know how to thank Him for His goodness. And so God has to constantly come back and remind us that we shouldn't forget. You know, He's done that all the way through Scripture. Now, let me ask you something. If you had been set free from slavery, from making bricks, and all your, you had ever known, your parents had ever known, your grandparents and your great-grandparents and your great-great-grandparents had ever known was slavery and making bricks, and you were set free from that to live in a land flowing with milk and honey, do you think you'd ever forget it? Yes, you would, because the children of Israel forgot it. And if you got that land and you saw the walls of Jericho fall down, and if you saw the miracles of God, and if you saw the sun stand still, do you think you'd ever forget it? Yep. I know you'd forget it. That's why Joshua had to come to the end of his book and said, now you remember all the things that God's done for us. But you see, they didn't remember it because in chapter 2 of Judges, it tells us that there arose a generation that did not know God. And every man did what was right in his own eyes, for there was no king in Israel. Why do you think Jesus had to say at the Lord's Supper, this do in remembrance of me? I mean, after all, the atoning sacrificial death of Jesus Christ to pay the price for our sins, to, for, to remove our sins as far as east is from west, you would think nobody would ever have to remind us what it was like when we passed from death unto life. And yet... As significant and life-changing as that is, for now and for eternity, we have to be told to remember. I don't understand that. I don't understand how we ever get over that swelling of emotions and feelings and sense of blessing and the power of God on our lives the day we were first saved, but I know we get over it. And that's why God has to come back to us and say over and over again, can't you hear? Can't you see? Don't you understand? It's just like boom, boom, boom. God keeps coming back saying, now, what have I got to do? How many times do I have to tell you? What is it going to take for you to get the message? And he keeps coming to us over and over and over again, and he shows us a blessing, and we forget to thank him for it. He shows us all the benefits and all the blessings and all the power and all the answered prayer and all the time when he's intervened, and we've forgotten to thank him for it. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in prayer meeting services and seen people pray for people, pray for people, ask God to heal them from some disease. 
And some of those people are church members and they never darken the door of the church to say, could I give a word of testimony for thanks that God heard those prayers. Oh, we are an ungrateful people, my friends. We've been blessed. We pray somebody needs a job and we pray and they get it. Still don't trust God with their resources. We're protecting our stuff. You know what we need? I don't know if they're in this service or if they were in the earlier service. But there's a family that is visiting us today, and I'm not sure which service they're in, but they're on their way to relocate their lives to North Carolina because in Homestead, Florida, all their stuff is gone. And you know what? You spend all day cleaning up your stuff, and those kind of people don't have any stuff to clean up. They stand in the middle of piles of rubble and pictures and their lives and everything they had destroyed. But you know what I hear over and over and over again in testimonies of people from places like that? We're just glad to be alive. Because the alternative's not too good. We can survive knowing that we've got each other. We have a blessing of knowing that we have one another. And you see, when you got that, all the stuff really doesn't make any difference because all the stuff can't fill up the emptiness of your soul. Do you hear? Do you see? Do you understand? Is God coming to you and continually saying things over and over and over again? Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, Oh, crooked and perverse generation, how much longer must I put up with you? And I tell you, in my life, I think God's just tired of telling me the same stuff over and over again. I think I ought to be further along. I ought to be doing more. You see, I think I'm committed until I meet somebody who's committed, and then I realize I don't know what commitment is. And I worry so much about my stuff, about my bread, about my lifestyle, about my finances, about my health, about things that really don't matter in light of eternity. And I think you may have the same problem too. I've really been struggling with the Lord these last couple of weeks. Trying to figure out what it is he's doing with us and trying to figure out where he's taking us. And he showed me this week. We have forgotten his benefits. We've forgotten his goodness. I mean good folks. Blessed people. We've forgotten his benefits. We've forgotten how good he's been to us. We've forgotten how precious are his promises. We've forgotten the people that have extended themselves on our behalf in this congregation. And we just walk on by. There was a day a few years ago when you could give an invitation in this church and this altar would be covered. There'd be 15, 20, 25 people Sunday morning, Sunday night, it didn't matter just down praying. And they might not even be praying about anything to do with the service, but they knew they needed to come down and, and have a word with God and speak to God. 
Now nobody comes down unless they're prodded and encouraged. There was a day when I first came as pastor of this church that we would sit down and have a couple of services maybe where somebody, now the baby's taken care of. Y'all don't worry about the baby. Keep your attention up here. So you're worried about stuff. There was a day we might go a couple of weeks and we wouldn't have anybody presented that had come on profession of faith. And somebody would walk up to me and say, Pastor, you know, it's been a couple of weeks since we've had anybody walk the aisle and make a profession of faith. You know that nobody said that to me in over a year? I know we've had people almost every week that walk the aisle, but you see, we're so caught up with what we're doing that we fail to see what we need to be doing. Because we're worried about our stuff. We're worried about getting the lunch. We're worried about paying our bills. And we're worried about our car. And we're worried about our economy. And we're worried about the election. And folks, that's all bread that one day when you pull away from the shore, you're going to have to leave behind. And the only thing you're going to take with you is what you've done for Jesus. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Gatt. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.